Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The Supreme Court finally issued a long-awaited decision in the California v. Texas case, the case that could have struck down the entirety of the ACA. Ultimately, the court ruled 7-2 to to effectively uphold the ACA as law of the land. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy is here to discuss the ruling and its implications moving forward. So, we finally have a ruling in this case. Can you remind folks what was at stake here? So, Dan, this all stemmed from the 2017 budget bill that passed that December that basically zeroed out the individual mandate penalty. Oftentimes we hear people refer to this as repealing the individual mandate, but NEHU has always been very careful in noting that the individual mandate is technically still in place, but that December 2017 budget bill made it so there was a zero penalty for noncompliance with the individual mandate. So how did that get us to a Supreme Court? ruling. And the way that happened is the plaintiffs here from Texas, so that's where you get the Texas and California v. Texas or Texas v. United States, had different names throughout its legal journey. So the plaintiffs here challenged that because the penalty was zero, that the individual mandate was really a true mandate and not a tax which is what the Supreme Court had decided in the previous NFIB case that said that it was constitutional because it was a tax. And so it wasn't a true mandate when we put that all together. Without levying that tax, the plaintiff said that since no funds were being collected, that it wasn't a tax and it was a true mandate, meaning that the individual mandate was unconstitutional. Then, as an extension of that challenge, the plaintiffs then said that if the individual mandate is therefore unconstitutional, that the rest of the ACA is also unconstitutional and must fall with it because in past Supreme Court rulings and past arguments from Congress, the individual mandate was one of the three pillars or the three-leg stool of the ACA. And so without the individual mandate, everything else would fall. So this argument effectively could have led to the entire ACA being found unconstitutional. And this all started back from the 2017 budget bill zeroing out the individual mandate and then the argument based on the previous Supreme Court case with NFIB challenging the constitutionality of the individual and employer mandates. Can you go into a bit more detail about the plaintiff's legal argument? 
So in addition to looking at the interpretation from that previous NFIB case and the difference between the individual mandate being a true mandate or it being constitutional because there is a tax extended on top of it, they also looked to the fact that they were required in general to purchase health insurance coverage and the financial burden that that might place on some to have to be in compliance with that. Essentially, when we get down to the arguments that the most recent ruling from the Supreme Court came out on was that there was no harm that was caused by the requirement to purchase minimum essential coverage or some type of health plan, because that December 2017 budget bill made it so there was a zero penalty for noncompliance with the individual mandate. So the court ruled seven to two. Was the court really upholding the ACA? Well, first, Dan, I'm going to say that we're being very careful in the way that we're talking about this ruling. And that is because the ruling was based on standing of the plaintiffs, meaning whether the plaintiffs, the complainants, the Texas folks were able to show that they suffered any harm or were hurt or inconvenienced in any way by this requirement. And the Supreme Court found that they were not. And so they weren't able therefore, to legally bring a case. And this is interesting because standing this issue was something that was very much discussed and litigated in the lower courts. And the lower courts repeatedly found that the plaintiffs were able to bring this case. And both of the lower courts ruled in favor of the Republican states in favor of Texas saying that the individual mandate was unconstitutional. And so now we get to the Supreme Court and in our previous discussions about this on the podcast, so which would have been um, last November, so November of 2020, the oral arguments were held just after the election, although we were still counting ballots. The oral arguments took place November 10th of 2020 And so the last time we were talking about this, we were remarking on how much the Supreme Court asked about standing. And at the time, it was just, well, isn't this interesting? You know, this could possibly hinge upon what we see in the summer of 2021 as a decision. But I think for the most part, people were expecting a little bit more in the opinion and for some remarks to be made on the arguments of the substance of the issue at hand, where in this decision, there weren't any remarks on that. It was just that the plaintiffs don't have standing, they aren't suffering a harm, so they don't have the legal ability to bring this challenge. So the reason why I'm saying we're being very careful with the way that we're talking about this is that By ruling on standing, the Supreme Court isn't endorsing the ACA. They're not, this was not a ruling in favor of the ACA. This was a very technical ruling on the letter of the law and what it means to be able to bring a legal challenge. Which justices concurred with the final ruling? So Justice Stephen Breyer 
was the author of the majority opinion, and he was joined by Chief Justice Roberts, Thomas, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, Kagan, and Sotomayor. So that leaves Justices Alito and Gorsuch in the dissent. What's, I won't say surprising here, because again, if we're going back to the fact that they are ruling on the letter of the law withstanding and not on the issue at hand or politicizing the ACA, because again, the Supreme Court is there to interpret the law. They're not there to make political judgments. And so it was interesting that we had Kavanaugh and Comey Barrett joining with some of the more liberal justices who those liberal justices in the past, Sotomayor, Kagan, and not so liberal Roberts have upheld the ACA in previous cases that were to the issue of the ACA and constitutionality. And now we have liberal and conservative justices joining together. But again, looking at that strict interpretation of standing. So what else does this mean when we have a seven to two opinion like this, especially when it is basically dismissing this case and saying that they're not going to hear it because of this? I have already been asked by some of our members, well, does this mean that the ACA is forever the law and nothing can ever challenge it or touch it again? No, that's not what this means at all. This is, again, not an endorsement by the Supreme Court. This is just a ruling on this basic kind of civil procedure piece. So I cannot promise that there will be no other challenges. It's been 11 years, and this is the third ACA challenge that has made it to the Supreme Court. So it is entirely likely that we could see more challenges coming to the ACA to the Supreme Court. I'm sure you all can think of other laws or issues that have been heard by the Supreme Court that are constantly threatened to be re-adjudicated before them. Just like anything else, a ruling one way or the other in the Supreme Court never solidifies something forever. There can always be changes either by Congress um, completely changing the law, or there could be other challenges that are heard before a Supreme Court that has a different makeup on, on the bench that could lead to a different decision. NAHU's Virtual 2021 Annual Convention will be held June 27th to 29th, and it promises to be the most innovative, productive, and fun meeting that you have ever attended. If you have not registered for convention yet, then why not? The clock is ticking. So please, if you have not signed up already, please go to NAHU.org and sign up for convention now. So what does this ruling mean for the health insurance market moving forward? Well, Dan, President Biden ran on solidifying and expanding the ACA, and he did not run on a public option or Medicare for all, although a public option was originally in the ACA. However, with this decision and the fact that for the foreseeable future, which I'm saying three to four years here, the ACA will will be the law of the land because it will probably take that long for any challenges to get to the Supreme Court if there are any in the in the near future. So for the next few years, the ACA is the law of the land. And with this threat lifted, 
I think that we are going to see progress moving forward on some of some of the basics of the ACA that we saw overturned with the Trump administration. So things like possibly having reinstatement of some of the contraceptive provisions, covering for persons that are transgender, looking at the short-term limited duration plans, the individual HRAs, and the expansion of association health plans. I'm not saying that all of the actions that were taken by President Trump are going to be changed. I'm saying that this opens up a little bit of leeway for the Biden administration to go back and reinstate these pieces without having kind of having a larger cloud looming over them, thinking that they're going to have to kind of recreate everything because the Supreme Court could still overturn all of this with a pending case since there's no longer a pending case. This decision, I think, also will touch the policy direction of Congress, as well as the administration, like I just mentioned. So Congress, although we have some of these public option and Medicare for all and single payer bills that have been introduced, once again, now knowing that this threat of overhauling our markets by the ACA possibly being found unconstitutional. With that threat going away, I think that the pressure to try to put something else, a replace, and for the progressives, that replace would be something much more liberal, like a public option. And for the conservatives, it would mean something like what we saw in 2017 that Senator McCain gave the thumbs down to. Now, With this Supreme Court threat eliminated for the time being, the pressure to find a replace on either side of the aisle is lifted a bit. They get a bit of a breather to not feel as though everything is going to be toppled over. And I often get asked, oh, it sounds like NEHE was in favor of the ACA. What about all of the provisions that have been troublesome or burdensome, like employer reporting and some of these other things? I'm not saying that NEHU is in, in endorsing the ACA. I am saying that had the ACA been ruled unconstitutional and all of the market stabilizers that were in place eliminated, we could have had a, a very large disruption to the market. And think about all of the things that are included in the ACA that would have gone away. So things like adult children staying on the parents' plan, so children up to age of 26, the expansion of Medicaid, those 1332 waivers, which many conservative states have taken advantage of uh, to be able to put reinsurance in place within their states. We've also seen some states using the 1332 waivers to put together some really technical nuances within their state exchanges, and some of them are conservative states. Georgia, I'm looking at you. You're in the process of doing that. So those pieces would have been eliminated. And and so that's why I'm saying that this would have been a threat to really upset the markets if this had all gone away um, with, with a Supreme Court ruling. So now, knowing that we are going to have, quote unquote, the status quo, for a few more years. Now the focus is going to be on, like I mentioned, possibly revisiting some of those items that the Trump administration did away with. And that's because we're in a democratic presidency. 
And then on the agency side, there was also a huge worry on our behalf that a ruling doing away with the ACA would have led to a large amount of rulemaking on behalf of the federal agencies when they already have a very long to-do list on the regulatory side from the Consolidated Appropriations Act that was passed at the end of 2020, amongst many other things. And so our concern was they're, they're never going to get to some of these rules that we need in place by the beginning of next year. So now we do know that the agencies aren't going to have to focus on that because they're not going to have to try to find a workaround a Supreme Court ruling dismantling the ACA. So they can focus on these other aspects of the market that they were charged with doing under President Trump. So that is how this will shape the policy direction, both of Congress and the administration. And we will be right there ready to have those conversations with all of the policymakers. I feel like today with this decision, amongst many others that came out this week, that there are legal scholars across the country putting together a new case law book for civil procedure because so many cases this week hinged on the procedural aspect of bringing a case, of having standing, of the reach of the courts and what they are able to adjudicate. And I know it's not as exciting to everyone else watching this, but when you see this case law being made and you know that this is going to be studied years into the future, I think there is a lot of history being made this week with the rulings of the Supreme Court. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are toasting to you, the brokers. There has been a new report from CMS that shows that more than 1 million new and returning consumers have health coverage through the health insurance marketplace that costs $10 or less per month. And you all were the advocates for helping them to enroll. So a big toast to all of you for this huge increase in enrollment for helping consumers access affordable coverage and to the hundreds of millions of Americans that have health insurance coverage today. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.